0: All right, I think we're pretty, pretty much good on that. Now, if you haven't been here the past few months, we, all right, we've taken a break. About two months ago, we took a break out of the Gospel of Mark. Our main strategy on Sunday mornings, our main preaching strategy at this church is to walk through books of the Bible. Uh, that is called expositional preaching. And so the mindset there is that man is not creative enough to decide what God's people need week in and week out. So the Holy Spirit wrote a book. We have it. It's called the Bible. And so we walk through books of the Bible, and we pull out the main points of books, and we feed it to God's people. That's our meat and potatoes at this church, okay? Every once in a while, we're going to break out and get special attention, and we did that about two months ago to a series through the local church. But today, we're coming back into the book of Mark at chapter 11, and this is where we're going to be. So our text today is Mark 11, verse 1 through 11, and we're going to read that together. Now, this will be the most important words that you hear all day. So grab your Bibles, get these words in front of you, and we're going to read the words of the living God. Prepare yourself to hear from God. The living God is about to speak to you from His words. We're going to read this together. This is what you came for today. You came to hear from God. You didn't come to hear a sermon. You didn't come to hear a story. And and this this is where we're going. These are the words of God. Mark chapter 11, first 11 verses. Thus says the Lord. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of His disciples and said to them, And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw cloaks on it, and He sat on it. And many spread cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before And those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let's pray over these words. Father, we commit this time to You, Lord and the desire of our hearts all across this room, God. God, would you speak to us? God, would you speak to our neighbor? Lord, would you take these words that you have given us, Lord, and would you drive them in? Lord, would you draw near and meet with us today? God, would you exalt yourself and humble man today? Would you humble us, Lord, in your presence? God, we ask that You would give us a holy moment where we would hear Your voice. Help every person here to linger over these words, Lord. To linger over these words and to hear from You. God, I ask for Your help to proclaim Your Word and Your strength and Your ability. God, I ask for Your help for us, God, to hear Your words and Your strength and Your ability. Lord, glorify Yourself today. You are so faithful, God week in and week out, to give us what we need. Lord, do it again. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, we're coming back in to the book of Mark on Sunday mornings. And where we have entered in is in the beginning of chapter 11. And what that means is this is Passion Week. This is the final week of Jesus' life. And we're going to spend... Believe it or not, we're going to spend probably several months covering the last seven days of Jesus' life, okay? Now, why would you do that? Because the Gospels do this, okay? This This is the most important part of the life of Jesus, His final days, His last days. So if you're reading through the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have you ever thought about this? Why such a large percentage of space and words Why is such a large percentage given to such a small amount of time in Jesus' life? See that? Huge chunks of the Gospels last seven days of his life. Half of the book of John. Half of the book of John is about the final seven days of Jesus' life. The first half of the book of John is about the first 33 years of Jesus' life. Last half seven days. A third of the book of Mark. You see how they're they're loaded, they're heavy on the last week of Jesus' life. This is because this is the most important thing. The Gospels slow down here, and most of the time that the Holy Spirit gives in sacred Scripture are to these events in His final days. So I just want to encourage you, over the next couple of months as we walk through this, pay close attention. You lean in and you hear what the Spirit says about the last days of Jesus on this planet. Now our topic today is the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And this is recorded four times in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the point of that is that this is important. Four times they said it, this is important. This is the event that kicks off that final week of Jesus' life. And we're going to unpack this text this morning. But before we do, I want us to see these events. There, there is a perfect setting That this story falls right in the middle of. So I want us to see that together. This is very important. This story takes place in a perfect setting. So I want you to listen. Just hold tight for a minute. Perfect setting. This story happens in the city of Jerusalem around 33 AD. Now, for about a thousand years at this point, this city has been the epicenter of God's dealings with humanity since King David. In this city, Jerusalem. A thousand years before this story, God set up His temple in this city. This was the dwelling place, the meeting place between holy God and sinful man. This is is the religious center of the entire nation of Israel, Jerusalem. 33 A.D. Take it a step further. This story, Jesus is about to ride in in a perfect setting. This story takes place in what is known as the Jewish Passover feast. If you never have have wrapped your mind around this before, the last seven days of Jesus' life correspond perfectly with the seven days of the Passover feast. Do you catch that? This is the perfect setting. The Passover feast is an annual, week-long feast where the Jews would celebrate when God had delivered them from Pharaoh from the king of Egypt, and you can read about this in Exodus chapter twelve. This is vivid in the Old Testament. This is a monumental event in the Old Testament, where God redeems this people to Himself and establishes this nation. All right, in the in this Passover, in this Exodus event, every year for a week they would remember it again and remember it again. Okay, thirty three A.D. You have. Zealous Jews that are are zealous to keep this Passover feast. Now, where is the most popular place to go do this? You got it? Jerusalem. Okay? And so historians tell us that the population of Jerusalem, it was swell almost ten times its normal amount. Okay, that, that Jews would pack into this city to keep this feast. This is the exact perfect setting that Jesus is about to ride this donkey right in the middle of this city. There are people everywhere keeping this feast. There are massive crowds. You see this. It gets better. This is the perfect setting. Consider this. This nation at this point, 33 AD, is under Roman domination. They are occupied by a foreign power. The people of God have been conquered by the emperor of Rome. So I want you to imagine the tension in this city. you got thousands of Jews and they are remembering Passover, which is a celebration where God ripped His people out of the grips of the king of Egypt. And so you have these Jews and they're remembering this deliverance from Egyptian bondage. And they're under Roman bondage. And what are they doing? They're remembering what God has done. And there are lambs being slain all over this city. And these Jews are looking to God. God, do it again. We need another exodus, Lord. Do it again. Come deliver us, your people. This is the perfect setting. The Jewish historian Josephus tells us that up to a quarter million Passover lambs were slaughtered in this particular Passover that Jesus rides into. So this is the setting, the perfect setting. 33 A.D., City of Jerusalem under Roman domination, during a packed Passover feast, as the people of God, they killed thousands of lambs and said, Lord, do it again. Lord, deliver us. And in the middle of this, Jesus rides his donkey into this city. And here's my point. This Passover feast will be like no other Passover No other Passover will be like this one. In fact, this is the Passover that's going to end all Passovers forever. This is the setting, the perfect setting. Okay, I'm going to refresh you. Last few chapters of the Gospel of Mark, 8, 9, and 10. Story after story, Jesus moves closer and closer geographically to Jerusalem. And the book of John tells us at this point that Jesus has made his way to a city called Bethany. John chapter 12 tells you this. Now, John John 11, excuse me, John 11 tells us that something very important happens at that city called Bethany. Jesus very publicly raises somebody from the dead. His name is Lazarus. He was dead 4 days and there's massive crowds around and Jesus calls him out of the tomb in front of everybody. John 11 records this. John 12 tells us that this this village is only two miles outside of Jerusalem. John 12 tells us that thousands, many, many went out to this city in Bethany to see this one who had raised Lazarus from the dead. And Lazarus is standing there talking to him. And so the leaders begin to try to kill Jesus and Lazarus. So he's in Bethany. There's Jews everywhere in Jerusalem. And he's about to ride in for his triumphal entry. Our story picks up right here, right here in Bethany. The very next day, these crowds rush out to Jesus, and the very next morning, Jesus wakes up and he decides to lead these massive crowds right into the middle of this packed Jerusalem. This is the perfect setting. I want you to remember this. I'm about to unpack this passage. Every step that Jesus takes geographically. Towards Jerusalem. He is moving chronologically closer and closer to His death. Jerusalem equals death for Jesus. And He goes. And He knows this. And He still goes. This is the perfect setting. Now let's see the prophetic preparation in verses 1-6. through Let's read that one more time. And when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, what are you doing? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let him go. So before they leave this city, Bethany, Jesus turns to two disciples. We don't know who they are. And he tells these two disciples, Go into that little village right across the way. That little village is Bethpage. It's right next door to Bethany. And he says, When you go, as soon as you go in, you're going to see a colt tied up, untie it, and bring it to me. Now, this is a very strange and unexpected instruction from Jesus, okay? I want to remind you at this point that Scripture claims that every word in this book is from the mouth of God, all right? So I just want you to think with me for a second, because we'd be really tempted at this point to say, man, isn't there a better use of six verses in the Bible than to tell a story about a colt, a donkey? Surely there's a better use of Scripture than this, okay? So we'd be tempted to think that this was a waste of the Holy Spirit's breath, okay? But I want to I encourage you, this story is full of meaning. It's a symbolic act, and it's full of meaning. This story is awesome, okay? I want to convince you of that before we finish. This story about this cult gives us glimpses of the attributes of Jesus and fulfillments of prophecy. It's full of the glory of Jesus, so don't underestimate the word of God. Don't underestimate this story. Okay, for starters, for starters, I want us to see that Jesus desires to ride this colt in to Jerusalem intentionally. So what do you mean? It was not popular on jam-packed, crowded roads going into Jerusalem to ride anything on feast days. This was very unusual for pilgrims to ride animals on feast days. Another layer in the Gospels, Jesus has never rode an animal. Jesus has been walking all over the nation of Israel for three years, His entire ministry. He is not tired. He does not need to ride in. Okay? He is doing this intentionally to communicate something to us. This, this action communicates a message that Jesus would have us to understand and to see. It's intentional. Okay? It's intentional. Next. I want us to see the glory of Jesus. Jesus obtains this colt, this small donkey, by supernatural knowledge. Look in verse 2. He tells his disciples, Go into that village and immediately you will find a colt tied up. That would be like me saying, Saddle, go into Peelahatchee, and as soon as you get off the interstate, you're going to see a red pickup truck and a guy named Bob driving it, and he's going to give you $100. And the point is, how did Jesus know this? How did he know this? Because he's Jesus. Because he's Jesus. This is a glimpse of the glory of Jesus. Jesus is the omniscient God-man. You see that? One Christ, two natures. In His divinity, in His godness, He knows all things. There's nothing that escapes Him. He sees all things and He knows all things. This is a tremendous comfort to us. We follow the Christ who is never surprised. He knows all things. He sees all things. You think about this. This church. Hunter prayed about this earlier. This church has had suffering this this past 10 days. We've had two people in this church and their their parents have died. We have another brother in this church and his dad is diagnosed with terminal illness. And these things come, come out of nowhere and they surprise us. Never with Jesus. Jesus knows all things. He sees around every corner and He's never surprised. He has perfect knowledge. This is the Christ that we follow. This is the Christ that we love. This is the Christ that we lean in and trust. So he obtains this by supernatural knowledge. And then in verse 2, you'll notice the detail that no one ever sat on this colt. I'd be tempted to just blow right past that. Okay? This is full, again, of the glory of Jesus. The story is full of the glory of Jesus. In the Old Testament, that would have meant that this animal was set apart for sacred use. So I'll read you a verse. This is 1 Samuel chapter 6, 7, and 8. There's instructions given in that verse, in those verses, about what kind of animals were allowed to pull the Ark of the Covenant, the holy presence of God. And in that verse it says, they never can be yoked before. They never could be used before. Don't you hook an animal up to the, to the Ark of the Covenant of God that's been yoked before. It must be unyoked. A never used animal. Okay? This is what's happening in this story about Jesus. Jesus can't ride a common animal into Jerusalem because Jesus is not a common man. He's the holy one. And he must have a holy, separated animal. This colt is never to be ridden because it's set apart for sacred use. So think about this. If the two oxen, the two cows that carry the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, which is a symbol of the presence of God in the Old Testament if they could never be used before, how much more is the animal that rides the King of glory into Jerusalem never to be used before? This coat is carrying the Holy One Himself, the presence of the living God. He must never be ridden before. This is the Lord Jesus Christ in these verses. They're awesome. They show us the glory of Jesus. He's the true Holy One coming into His city. And then consider this. If you're reading through the Gospels, you may have seen this before. It seems like almost every time that there's an interaction between the disciples and with Jesus, it always ends with this, some kind of challenge and some kind of charge for these disciples to trust Jesus. They must trust Him. Whether it's in a storm or whether it's in the middle of a trial, they must trust Christ. And you see this over and over in the Gospels, and you see it again here in verse 3. Okay, And here's what I mean. You're sharing this story with somebody that's never heard it before, or maybe you just really honest with yourself, any way you slice it, it looks like on the surface that Jesus is sending two people to steal a donkey. Okay? It does. You're going to see something, and when you see it, you grab it. Okay? On the surface, this is what it looks like. Okay? Strangely, okay, it's almost like Jesus knows this, So strangely says, "Oh, by the way, if anybody asks you about it, just say this: the Lord has need of it." Imagine this, okay? You're walking out to Beth Page, and you're like, "Just if they say anything, tell them the Lord has has need of it." Are you kidding me? (laughs) Kidding me? Okay. So you think about you being in this position, and you. Uh, can you imagine? You're, you're walking up to a complete stranger and you get in the driver's seat of their vehicle and the owner of that car comes up and confronts you and says, Sir, what are you doing? And out of everything that could come out of your mouth in that moment, you say, The Lord has need of your car. <laughs> you see this, okay? This is way beyond leaning against our own understanding. Jesus sends these men out with this charge and they must trust Jesus. They can't trust in their own understanding. They must trust Jesus. They must lean against His word and so must we. We have to trust Christ. We cannot lack in this area. We have to lean in and trust the words of Jesus even when we don't understand everything perfectly. That's what faith is. We must believe. We must trust. And then think about this. In that same phrase, The Lord has need of it. That phrase, Jesus is claiming to be God. Jesus sends them out and he didn't say, tell him the teacher needs the donkey. He says, tell him the Lord has need of it. And that little phrase, Jesus claims to be the Lord himself, the sovereign one. Tell him I need it. Tell him the Lord needs it. The story of the cold, it just keeps getting better and better and better. It's full of the glory of Jesus. All right, finally, let's see this. Notice how frequently the colt is said to be tied up or untied. Now, if you're writing Mark's gospel, okay, why in the world would you come back to that detail over and over and over again? Tied, tied, untied, untied, tied, five times in that passage. This shows the glory of Jesus. This is a beautiful fulfillment to an ancient prophecy about Jesus. Jesus. Listen to this prophecy made about Judah's offspring. This is Genesis 49, 10 and 11. I'm going to read it to you. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his donkey to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. Okay? In this prophecy, this ancient prophecy, thousands of years old at this point, right in the middle of this prophecy that there's one coming from Judah that's going to rule all the nations, the very next detail that you get is about tying up a donkey. You see that? This thing had been laying dormant for thousands of years, and then all of a sudden this story about that colt being untied, that tied colt being untied and brought to Jesus, this prophecy breaks forth into fulfillment. Do you see that? Even the tied up donkey is a fulfillment to prophecy. The story is awesome. It speaks of the glory of Jesus. There's no waste of Scripture. We might be tempted to see this, but there's no waste in the Word of God. So this story is full of the glory of Jesus. That was the prophetic preparation. You see how much of that exalts Christ. Everything in that, He set it up. He initiated it. He governed the details of it. Now Jesus will make... The triumphal entrance in verses 7 through 10. Let's read that again. Here's what happened. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Okay, so this is awesome. He's riding in. And what I want you to see mostly about this story is Jesus is making a deliberate claim to be king. He's making a deliberate claim to be king. Now, if you're, you're a studier of the Gospels, you know that the moment that Jesus was born... In the manger in Bethlehem, He was announced as the Christ. This is the one. Okay, Heaven has known for a long time that Jesus is King. But this is very unique in the Gospels. Okay, That He would publicly declare His kingship. In fact, you'll remember several times they tried to come and arrest Him and make Him King on the spot. And He resists them. Okay, He holds back. His hour is not yet. And He, and he resists those crowds. So up to this point, he has ran away from royal recognition. And this point, he turns the corner. He turns the corner here. And he publicly announces with this act of riding in. He says to Israel, I am your king. I am your Messiah. This is me. This is who I am. He's not holding back anymore. Think about this. This public demonstration of this. This forces a response from everyone who saw him, from all the leaders, from all the crowds. You can't stay neutral anymore because he just told you exactly who he was. You see that? So his triumphal entry, it forces them to make a decision. Either you will accept him as king or you will crucify crucify him and kill him as an imposter. But you must do one or the other because there's no more playing around. Jesus does this and he forces the decision. And at this point, there's no turning back now. Okay? This, this is the event that kicks off Passion Week. Kicks off the week of his suffering. So Jesus hops on this colt, and he makes a two-mile journey from Bethany into the city of Jerusalem. All right, You remember, what we know is around him. Very crowded paths. These roads are choked with pilgrims at Passover. People are everywhere, and he's sitting on this little bitty child's colt. Okay, so he's moving real slow over this two-mile road. So it's taking some time for the king to ride into Jerusalem. All right, and this is a strange moment. All kinds of people saw him. Thousands of people are looking, and they're seeing him riding in. And I want you to imagine how strange this scene would have been. What would have been on their minds as they saw him doing what he was doing? They saw him riding in on this little bitty colt. Every uh, Jews knew their Bible. They knew the scriptures pretty well. They didn't have social media and Twitter and TV and, and Newsweek and newspapers. Like they had the Bible to read and they, and they read it and they knew it. Okay, So most people in this culture knew Zechariah's prophecy about the Messiah. And as they saw Jesus riding in, Almost every one of them would have had this thought flash in their mind. Zechariah 9 is happening right in front of our face. It's being fulfilled right here. It's happening right now. Zechariah 9. 9. Listen to this. This is a prophecy about Jesus. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your King is coming to you. Righteous in having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on the colt of a donkey. You see that? In that moment, the Spirit flashes in front of their mind. They say, The king is here. He's here. He's coming on his donkey. Righteous in having salvation, the king has arrived. He's here. He's, not on, he's no longer the long awaited one. He is the king has arrived. He's come. And these crowds did exactly what you think they would have done. They erupt and explode with praise to Jesus. They roll out what we would call the red carpet treatment for Christ. Okay? And, they, and they throw their garments on the road that He's riding on. And they throw palm branches down in front of Him, and Call out Hosanna in praises. When they threw their garments down in front of Jesus, this was an act of enthronement. It was an act of enthronement by these crowds. This is exactly how Israel enthroned the Old Testament king named Jehu. Listen to this. This is 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13. It says this, Then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the steps. And they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. You see that? This is an act of enthronement. They throw their coats down before Jesus. And what this means is He's the King. The King is here. It's also an act of submission. They throw their garments down for Jesus to walk on. And the message is clear. They say, Jesus, I am the lowly one. You are the exalted one. Walk on me, Jesus. Walk on me. Walk on me, Jesus. And this is an act of submission. Do what you will with me, Jesus. You are high, I am low. And we know from Revelation 7-9 that those palm branches that they're throwing down on the streets in front of Jesus, saints of God will do this forever. These are symbols of salvation joy. And they throw them down in front of Jesus. And so we know that the message of these crowds is clear. The message of the crowds is this. The King is here and He's brought salvation. Throwing down garments. not, Not even worthy in His presence. So can you imagine this eruption of praise? Can you imagine this, that you're there and it flashes before your eyes, that you are at such a unique place in redemptive history that the moment that the king rides in, that you see him on his coat riding in with salvation. Mark tells us that they begin to break out and sing Psalm 118. That's the conqueror's psalm in the word of God. And they begin to blast it at the top of their lungs and praise God. They start shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! That means save us now, Lord. Save us now. And so he's riding in and they sing Hosanna to God the Father. And they're asking God, God inaugurate the kingdom now. Save us now. Establish it now, Lord. Deliver us now. Our King is here. Hosanna! Verse 9 tells us that Jesus was absolutely surrounded by people shouting praise. There was a group behind Him. There was a group before Him. And they're all praising. They're saying, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. This is the royal treatment. This is the worship of the King. Luke tells us, Luke's account of this, He tells us that these crowds praised Jesus so loudly, so unashamedly they worshiped Jesus that Pharisees walked up to Jesus and said, you better rebuke them. They're out of line. They've stepped across the line and you better rebuke them. And Jesus says, no, thank you. Luke 19. Listen to this. Luke 19 verse 40. Jesus turns to these and says, I tell you, if these were silent, if these ones were silent that are shouting my praise... He says, even the rocks would cry out. The very stones would cry out. He says, I will be praised. If they don't do it, the mountains will praise me. I am the king and I'm riding into my city. Do you see this? Exploding with praise to Jesus. Think about a football stadium just lit up with jubilation, lit up with excitement, going ballistic over something, some crazy victory. And this is what these crowds are like around Jesus. They are busting loose with shouts and adoration to Jesus. So before we move forward, when is the last time that you gave Jesus praise like this? Where you busted loose, every ounce of your being, you busted loose with praise and adoration. Hallelujah! Blessed is this King! Hosanna! This is the praise that Jesus is worthy of. Okay, And this moment is awesome in the Word of God. This is an awesome moment in the Word of God. So this moment is glorious and awesome, but it's very, very, very fast. And it's very short-lived. And it's almost over before we know it as we're reading through this story. The problem was this. That these crowds, they hailed Jesus as the King, but they didn't fully understand exactly what kind of King that Jesus was. And you've been taught this before. Almost every Jew expected the Messiah that when he arrived there would immediately he would immediately establish his earthly kingdom that, that he would be a military power, and that he would conquer all the nations immediately upon his arrival. This is what these crowds were expecting Jesus to be, that he would come and that he would bring immediate deliverance from Rome. But Jesus is a different, type of king he's not that kind of king in his first coming and those who shouted hosanna the king is here they didn't fully understand this they didn't fully understand this think about it the true david had arrived the true david david's offspring the one who would sit on his throne and rule what a strange way for the true david to ascend to his throne and you say what do you mean Ancient kings they would ride into these coronation ceremonies, in regal royalty. Okay? They're, they're riding in on majestic steeds and on, and on chariots laid with, laced, laced with gold. Okay? There's, there, there's weapons everywhere and military power, and they ride in in majesty. But Jesus doesn't do this. Jesus in his coronation ceremony, Jesus rides in with a colt that's meant for a child. This is a small donkey. He's basically riding a pony into Jerusalem. So think about this. Think about how strange that is. That we affirm Him to be the King of majesty, the King of power, the King of glory. And He's sitting on something that symbolizes weakness. How strange is that? This is the way that He would ascend to His throne. This is intentional. This is intentional. Even Zechariah 9, that prophecy, said He's coming on. Humble. He's coming humble, riding on a donkey. The king is coming humble, riding on a donkey. This is intentional. There's not a weapon in sight at this coronation ceremony. So why this symbol of weakness? Why not come in guns blazing, displaying unthinkable power, lightning flashing, angel choirs busting in and singing his praise? Why not? Why didn't he flash unthinkable power? Again, this is intentional by Jesus. This humility that He displays on this colt, it foreshadows His suffering. He's come to do something that they're not expecting of Him. And this is really good news for sinners. A humble king riding on a donkey to a bloody cross is really, really good news for sinners. say, what do you mean? Think about this. What would have happened... If he would have inaugurated the kingdom right then, on the spot, he inaugurates his kingdom before he makes atonement for sin. What would happen? We would be toast. He inaugurates his kingdom, the righteous one, the holy one, is on his holy throne. He'll judge the world in righteousness and we'll all bust hell wide open and he'll pour out his wrath. Do you see that? If we would have got what they if they would have got what they asked for. It would have been terrible news. There's no gospel at all if He inaugurates this kingdom. okay? But it is good news. It is good news to us that Jesus came first as a humble servant rather than a military power. He came to bring true deliverance, true salvation. There's something that they needed more than deliverance from the Romans. They needed deliverance from the wrath of God, deliverance from sin. And Jesus has come to give it. So he knew, Jesus knew, he's riding this colt, and he knew that he would be rejected. And he still goes forward. He still goes public with this declaration of his kingship. Now, this is commonly called the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. But for these reasons, it's really more like a death march. That he is on the way to his own funeral. He will be crucified. In just a few days, he will be crucified, he will be killed. And yet he chooses this path of the bloody cross. And we say, why? Why did this king get low? Why is he riding in weakness? Why is he going to this bloody cross? So at this moment, everyone in this room needs to see this, this entrance into Jerusalem in lowliness. This is a declaration of the love of Jesus for you. Why did He go this way? Why did He go the path to His bloody cross? Because Jesus Christ loves sinners. He is committed to save sinners. Do you see this? Jesus is demonstrating His love for you. He loves sinners, and He is determined to go to His cross to make a payment for sin. He's resolved. He set His face to do this. He came in humility for you, not for Himself, For you. He could have sat down on His throne and ruled over all that He had made in that moment, but He humbled Himself for you, to save you. No one should be unaffected by this glimpse of Jesus. The fact that the King of glory is on this child's donkey, it should humble us. He's there for me. He's riding in in weakness to make atonement for my sins. No one unaffected by this. This is the King bowed down. The King made low. This is the glorious gospel of Jesus. So, the question to you this morning is this Have you responded to this first coming of Jesus? Have you responded to this? Have you responded to this coming of Jesus? Have you repented of your sins? Have you repented of your sins? Have you renounced any trust in your own goodness to secure salvation before God? Have you renounced that? I don't trust in my own goodness anymore. I fling myself on this Lamb, on this Christ of God, on this One who made Himself a servant. Have you done this? Have you put your trust in Jesus alone for salvation? What you do with this Christ is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. You must respond appropriately. And this is the only way to respond to Him. To get low, to repent of your sins, and to trust in this Christ who's made Himself low. Crucified on His bloody cross. And look in verse 11. This is His final destination. Verse 11 says, He entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when He had looked around at everything, as it was already late, He went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, many people see this as a fulfillment to the prophecy in Malachi 3. Malachi 3, 1-3. through 3, I'm going to read it to you. It says this, Behold, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into His temple. But who can endure the day of His coming? He is like a refiner's fire. He will sit as the refiner and purifier of silver, and He will purify the sons of Levi. And so Jesus walks in His temple, and He's there. He's the Lord suddenly come into His temple. And Mark tells us that Jesus looks around at everything. And what Jesus is doing is He's coming in, and He's evaluating the situation. He's weighing the situation. He's taking an evaluation, because He's about to make a judgment. He's about to be a refiner of silver. He's about to purify the sons of Levi. The Lord Himself is standing in His temple. Now this temple, it's the center of Jewish life. Okay? We talked about that a thousand years. This has been the dwelling place of God on planet earth. Okay? In about five days, this temple will become completely irrelevant in the sight of God. Jesus is about to judge false religion. He's about to make a judgment. He comes in and he looks around at everything. And he's about to make a judgment. The next day, he goes home that night. The next day, Jesus is about to make an all-out attack on false religion. He's about to attack it. So the point is this. Jesus will reject any and all false religion. He will. He comes into the temple. There's nothing hidden from His sight. And He will evaluate and He will weigh it in the balance and He will cast out false religion. He will. He will reject false religion in your life. He will. Jesus hates it when people claim to follow Him that don't really follow Him. If that is you, you will be cast out. You will be judged. Jesus will reject false religion. Religion, you must respond appropriately to Jesus. You must respond appropriately to Christ. Every person who will be saved must respond to this humble king. You must respond appropriately. Now, this response that's demanded is urgent because this first coming of Jesus into Jerusalem shadows and points us to the second coming of Jesus. He's coming again. This is not a fairy tale. That story of Christ crucified, He came out of the tomb. He rose Himself from the dead. He ascended into heaven and He sits on heaven's throne now. And He waits for His day. And this day is marked off. And when this day clicks, He pierces the sky wide open and He comes back. The Christ that you believe in is not a myth. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming back. And His second coming... It'll be nothing like His first coming. Please pay attention to this. His first coming. Jesus intentionally showed weakness and humility. In His second coming, Jesus will intentionally flash every ounce of power and authority in creation. It'll be a power move, the second coming. In His first coming, Jesus was surrounded by crowds of people as He rode into Jerusalem. In His second coming, He will be accompanied by innumerable armies of angels. His second coming is not like the first. The first coming, Jesus comes riding in on this little child's donkey. In His second coming, Jesus comes charging like a warrior on a white war horse. He's not coming in weakness again. He's coming in power You must respond with urgency. And the first time Jesus came as the suffering servant, but the second time He's busting the sky wide open as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's not coming in weakness again. The first time Jesus came to die, the second time He's coming to sit on His throne to reign. He came the first time for salvation, but the second time He's coming to judge the world in righteousness. This is His second coming. The first time, the crowd shouted out, Hosanna! The second time, they'll shout, Hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of wrath has come, and who can stand? It's not going to be like the first time again. He's coming in power. This means that you respond urgently because He will. He's coming back. He will rip the sky wide open, and He will judge, and He will reign. And He will pour out His wrath. So I say this with love to every person in this room. You better get right with this King that rides His donkey to His cross before you meet the same King sitting on His judgment seat. You better get right with this King. and He's made a way for all who trust Him to be saved. You better get right with Him. Jesus is coming back in power to judge the world. This is not a game. We'll close with this in, in Zechariah 14. It's the Word of God. On that day His feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall split in two from east to west by a very wide valley. Then the Lord will come and all His holy ones with Him. And the Lord will be King over all the earth. On that day the Lord will be one and His name will be one. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. God, we just come, Lord, in this holy moment, God. You've opened up through Your Word, through Your work, Lord Jesus. You've opened up access to You. Lord, we just pray, God, a prayer in this moment, God, that You would save. That You would save sinners in this room in this moment, God. That You would use Your Gospel. That You would use Your own Word, God, to alarm, to convict of sin. God, let Your terror be poured out. Lord, and from that place of brokenness, from that place of loneliness, Lord Jesus, reveal Yourself as the Lamb of God. Reveal Yourself as the Savior. Cause our our eyes to look to You, Lord. Lift our face to the heavens. God, we ask You to save. God, we pray that You would help us to respond appropriately to Your coming. And we pray, Lord, that you would put this longing in our, in our hearts, that we would say, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. We long to be with you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your words. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.